3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning, everybody. Today is Wednesday, the 11th of September, and you are listening to 3CR Community Radio Breakfast. Um, I'm Will. I'm Edwin. And I'm Rob. And uh, we'd like to, first of all, start with an acknowledgement of the country that we're on. We are on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and we broadcast throughout um, this city of Melbourne, which is on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri and Bunurong peoples of the Kulin Nation. We would like to pay respect to the elders, past, present, and emerging, and also acknowledge uh, that we have continued that they have continued resilience um, of First Nations people in the face of ongoing colonisation and settlement, which Australia currently maintains within its systems. Mm. And we recognise sovereignty was never ceded, and a treaty was never signed. Mm. And so, with that, when let's we get start to the, the show. show. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, welcome to Wednesday, everybody. I hope um, if, you're, if you're just getting ready for work or if you're heading off for work right now, you're, you've had a good morning so far. How, how have you folks been? Right. Well, it was, um, we got to see the sunrise this morning. Mm. We've hit into, we've hit into <laughs> September, guys. It's, it's getting lighter again, and yeah. we're starting to see a lot mm. more, um, mm. yeah, a lot more pretty pink sunrises. Mm. Yeah. So that was my, my enjoyment of a very grouchy morning. That's mm. right. <laughs> How about you? Yeah. It was nice, like, I don't know, it's just like last week there was like a feeling of spring and then this week it's gone to winter. But like yeah. it was okay this yeah. week because like I was like, yeah, it's the sunrise and I saw like little hot air balloons yeah. in the air and oh. cute. <laughs> Angelic. Were the balloons out this morning? Yeah, there's a few out oh, this morning. Oh, no way. I don't even look up anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too lazy. <laughs> That's so grim, isn't it? Oh, anyway, well. Um, no, uh, yeah, I've been okay. Um, mm. Some sort of weird hearing problems, but apart mm. from that, all good. Some odd hearing problems. Yeah, it's just... It's kind of gross, so let's not dwell on it too much. But that, yeah. if if I'm just saying this for the listeners at home, if the levels are weird on our microphones, mm. sorry everyone. Text, <laughs> text us in, tell us. Yeah. <laughs> oh, people can totally use the text line. It's zero four eight 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 zero nine eight five five. That's zero four eight 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 zero nine eight five five. I've used this before, and it's been great. Yeah, mm. yeah. You have. Unfortunately, I think you texted in with a question for one of our guests last oh, week. Oh, yeah. Fiona. But um, <laughs> Rob, I and Jess were um, too preoccupied. In we, this conversation. <laughs> we saw yeah. it just after she'd left. Totally. We were like, ah, oh, dang it. <laughs> Missed that one. Yeah. So apologies yeah. for that, Will. But thank you for texting in. It was nice to know, um, it was nice to know that there was someone out there. Uh, that, again, we're not dismissing you guys as an audience. Uh, but yeah, so mm. the week's been, the week's just been, it feels like we're churning along through September. Mm. The winter mm. hanging in, like hanging on to in like the starting week of September, it's not my jam. Mm. I've got my birthday party this week, I was going to do it, <gasps> yay, outside. Um, and like, like on Monday, I'm like, yep, yeah, no, it's, mm. it's going to be inside. I'm not playing the weather's yes. game anymore. <laughs> game over, we're just going to keep it safe. You've been played too many times. <laughs> We've played too many times, too many rain in the evening. So it's like, um, okay. Okay. Let's, let's be safe about this anyway. Yeah, okay, well, that's sensible. Well, also, happy birthday. Thank you. Yeah. So Thank exciting. You. I'm turning two decades. Ooh. No, you're no longer a teenager now. I'm no longer a teenager. Now. Oh my gosh. I don't. Here's the thing. I never get why it's 18, 21 are like the 16, 18, uh. 21 are like the big dates. Yeah, yeah. For me, I don't know about you guys, but 17 and 19 were spectacular. Right. And then like 18 was like. Eh. Eh. 
Because I mean, 20 is going to be a big one as well. Uh, I'm hoping 21 will be a big one, and mm. I'm hoping my 21 is surprisingly low-key. Mm-hmm. Like, I really want to subvert people's expectations and just have a really, <laughs> like, what are you doing on your birthday? I don't know, eating dirt. Like, that's sort of, like, 21st. <laughs> that's not low-key at all. That's a significant turn. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> just by okay. myself in the corner. No one's invited. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, I'm just, yeah. I'm, I'm looking to break those expectations. Mm, okay. Mm. Yeah. Because 21st was... is very American. Is it, it is. I feel. Yeah. I I remember people doing it quite a quite a long time ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like sort of my older cousins having twenty first birthdays and quite big ones, and it was yeah. really mystifying to me because we didn't really grow up in Australia. I think yeah. Well, I think the US. Lot, so. I think the US have like um, twenty first is like alcohol. Oh, yeah. That's when they they're that's legal the drinking age. age. Yeah. So I yeah. think that's I think that's why. But right. I might be wrong. It's right. also with girls like you have your weird like um like uh, almost like coming out kind of thing. Like wow, you're now presented to society. Mm, and right. It's like twenty one. No, it's a little bit earlier, but there's like stages, and right. twenty one kind of also has that vibe. And I, yeah. I reject it. You reject. <laughs> it. Well, I think why it reason like sixteen and twenty one are biggest because they're big in the states. Yeah. Because sixteen right. is like it's ages until your twenty one, so we need to celebrate something. <laughs> and so we've just kind of hybridized and sixteen, eighteen, going. and twenty one all together. Yeah. 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 Okay. Anyway. So, anyway. Reflections on birthdays. Yeah. Mm. Hmm. I think I spent my 21st doing a job allocation and it was no. pretty boring. <laughs> Rob, no. Uh, it's memorable for a different reason. That's fantastic, though. <laughs> I like that for you. Good job. <laughs> um, so, shall we talk about what's coming up in the Absolutely. show? Absolutely. Um, so, we are going to do a kind of um, rambly, unfocused uh, alternative news and then immediately after that we'll switch into talking about what happened yesterday. Mm. Um, so, yesterday was a big march in the city in solidarity with the Japarang Heritage Protectors Embassy and the work that they're doing right now trying to protect their country from from uh, well the state from all of the from the government from yeah. major roads from the Victorian government from the Victorian police um, mm. and so this is a whole lot of people um, coming out in Spring Street um, to show solidarity and then the march went down to the coroner's court to show solidarity with the family of um, Auntie Tanya Day um, as the inquiry into her death in custody continues. So um, we're going to hear from D.T. Zelenak, who gave a really stirring speech. speech. Yeah, Mm -hmm. stirring speech yesterday. And um, Mm. this audio in particular was recorded by Dirt Radio. Thank you, Dirt Radio folks, (laughs) who did a really great live live broadcast. Um, And then after that, we're going to be hearing from Mojgan Moarefizadeh. Folks might remember... Mm. Um, hearing from Mojgan earlier, oh, sorry, later last year. Um, Mojgan is a Iranian refugee who is living in Jakarta, and um, uh, given that Indonesia is not a signatory to the UN Refugee Convention, um, and also local attitudes towards refugees, refugees don't have any rights there to work or to movement, and they live under a curfew, and she's lived there for since 2013. Mm. Um, and so there's been a recent spate of protests by refugees across Indonesia in multiple cities, and it's very well coordinated, and we're going to be talking a bit about that. And that also, just mm. checking, well, that links in with the story we were actually listening last, last week, where we were listening That's to true. a different uh, protest. Yeah, last week we, um, we heard from J. N. Junaid, mm. um, who is a refugee based in Makassar, a That's city it, in East yeah. Indonesia, mm. um, who protested outside the Australian Consulate General and also the UNHCR offices in that city. And I hope to continue the coverage over the next week yeah, as well. I think it's really powerful getting the different voices from the different areas, yes, definitely. Yeah, so. yeah, and Moshgan has a different um, perspective to bring as well. She's mm. a paralegal and also a community organiser. Mm. Um, Jane Jonet is a writer and an activist, and they have different voices. And so I'm, I'm, Absolutely. Uh, I'm excited for us all to hear mm. um, Moshgan speaking today. Um, and then later in the show? Yeah, and then 
Um, at o'clock, we've got Carl Grodock, who's speaking about what makes better cities, which would be kind of interesting. Mm. So just about broadly what's happening in Melbourne, particularly in industrial areas, mm. and like some of, I guess, the sort of, and for want of a better word, problematic trends that are starting to happen in industrial areas yeah. with lots of like big, expensive residential projects, which mm. don't really have anything for the communities, and really what cities need to be doing more of, given that we actually have quite a lot of sort of industrial land that's not being used for industrial purposes anymore, so how to sort of make the most out of that. Mm. Fantastic. And then at some point we're also going to have some chat in the show as well. So <laughs> yeah. right. What's that about? Well, we've got to have a bit of a chat about a health kind of area. So we were supposed to be having an interview today. Unfortunately, um, it didn't go through, but basically it's about pretty... Un- it was called Pretty Unhealthy, and it was with uh, Dr. Nikki uh, Stamp. And it was a discussion from last week about women's health, but it was kind of talking about, well, where do we get our health advice from and where do we navigate our health mm. in this kind of media context where we're constantly saturated with wellness gurus and, mm, you know, mm. fruit diets mm. and, and you know, this kind of obsession with um, body image and stuff like that. So I, th- I thought it'd be interesting to find out our health trends, our health education, and kind mm. of just have a bit of discussion around it. Mm. I think we're also going to have the numbers game, aren't we, Will? Uh, <laughs> I promise that. It depends <laughs> on whether we have time at the end of the show, um, yep. because um, we'll, we'll see how we go with that interview at 8 o'clock. Mm. Um, uh, it's good to maybe, let those interviews breathe. Maybe get the numbers going. Don't. Maybe. Or maybe next week. Sorry, uh, Will. Uh, uh, folks, don't, don't count on it. Don't count on it. <laughs> 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 Pun. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so sorry, everyone. Um, you, you folks are listening to Wednesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio. We'll be right back with some news. Some folks know about it, some don't. Some will learn to shout it, some won't. But sooner or later, baby, here's a ditty. Say you're gonna have to get right down to the real. So you're listening to 3CR. Now, unfortunately, we haven't got Jess with us this week, so I thought I would go through the headlines briefly. Um, Both the Herald Sun and The Age have both decided that news is not important and replaced their front page with a massive ad. Wraparounds. Boo. We've got Harvey Norman and Woolworths. My favourite one is Woolworths because it's Uh. posturing as like a health guide. It says, where Uh, does our fresh food come from? Health news. Yeah, health news, right? And it's like a third of our children would say the supermarket. And and while that's not completely wrong, it's not the whole story. Mm. So I don't know about you, but there's this growing trend in journalism to package. I mean, growing trend. It's been Mm. around for ages. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I can get calls saying, I don't know about this. But um, just this growing uh, thing where advertising looking more and more like actual well, news I mean, articles to defend these awful greasy papers they don't get bought very much anymore that's an awkward way of phrasing it but like fewer <laughs> and fewer people are buying, buying physical newspapers mm, and like true. so um, and also the diversity of news sources that um, you're able to access online is greater than the ones that we've you know you've got Kevin Rod mm. talking about the monopoly of um of media and of course you know mm, the media activists <laughs> have known about this for quite a while so yeah I, I'm kind of 
Not surprised. Not surprised, but if disappointed. If you great growth also, of advertising in newspapers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not surprised, but disappointed. Hmm. Um, the next thing we've kind of got um, going on is a discussion around the basin crisis, so no water left to flush rivers. That's the Murray-Darling River system kind of yeah. catastrophe. Yep. And then a lot of coverage on... Um, Danny Forley, who has unfortunately passed away, and so uh, he's an AFL player, I believe, and uh, basically a lot of fans outpouring. But mm. there's not really much discussion or anything else. It seems like they had a bit of a slow news day, um, apart right, from a yeah. couple of very obvious headlines. I'll just mm. quickly read them out for you. The first ones is um, Racism's Real, yeah. says um, Asian Aussies. Yeah. And seeing as we've heard that story thousands of times, um, I'm so this surprised. Is, yeah, what's what's <laughs> the? Um, this is basically just talking. Well, it's kind of it's kind of a bit of a feature piece, I believe, because it's kind sure. of going through the eyes of an individual. So this is um, Alice Pung, uh, and it's kind of talking about her experience with racism, sure. and I think it believe I believe it brings in a few survey results and stuff like that. Okay. So it seems yeah. like it again, good article, but seems a bit kind of. Um, Obviously. It's good. You'd hope that you'd it's a bit late, but it's, it's good. It's a bit late, yeah. No, but it's good, though. I'm glad that that sort of thing gets front cover, front yes. page coverage. I think mm, an Squeezed important up. note made by <laughs> Dr. Chelsea Bond and other um, indigenous, indigenous scholars and thinkers is that Aboriginal mm. people were the first raced on this land, and so their voices are the most valuable when it comes to this. So, And this is just something, like, I'm, this is not a particular attack of Alice Punk. This is just something that's been sort of making the rounds of um, sort of commentary broadly that like non-indigenous people of color um get a lot of airtime when it comes to talking about racism of course non-indigenous people of color should be in all uh fora not just talking about racism but um when it when it comes to talking about racism indigenous voices are particularly valuable and so that's why i always kind of defer to people like dr chelsea bond when it comes to analysis on these things i mean Mm. not that it's even necessarily dr chelsea bond's particular focus she's um, a worker in, in public health. But she's your chosen and, kind and of, sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. She's just such a charismatic speaker. She's, and got, she's got some good words knows, on it. Yeah, no, yeah. totally. Um, so, the yeah. Other, the other article that's a little bit late is um, mm. the final one I'll read out, is cashless welfare cards trial right. failing. Yes. So we've been covering this topic for a long yeah. time, but it's just come out in the mainstream news that perhaps the cashless welfare system, sorry, the cashless card welfare system, isn't working as well as they'd like it no. to. So, yeah. I mean, again, you can listen to a lot of 3CR to hear exactly why that is, but exactly. um, yeah. I don't know. Disappointed with the news today. Late ah. and obvious. Anyway. Um, so can I, can I play a very quick clip? I know that we're kind of dragging on with alternative news today, but this... That's the sound of hundreds of protesters in Port Moresby yesterday protesting in solidarity with West Papuans and their struggle for, um, for self-determination and also in uh, protest against racism exp- experienced by West Papuans in Indonesia. Um, so there's um, been quite a few solidarity protests across Papua New Guinea and um, I think it's just uh, sort of important to note that these stories don't get a heap of coverage mm. in Australian news, considering that these are our neighbours directly to the north of Australia, Absolutely. Papua New Guinea and Indonesia. Um, and, yeah, so if you if you want to hear um, more about that, you should listen to Voice of West Papua, mm-hmm. um, and um, that's a really great 3CR show. You can just head to 3cr.org.au 
search for Voice of West Papua and uh, and you can hear from West Papuans speaking on their own mm. fight for self-determination. And I believe um, we have a community service announcement we might play, but there's mm-hmm. actually an event coming up as well, so we'll play that mm. sometime during the show and you can yes. have the details for that. Absolutely. Um, wrapping up alternative news, uh, I just wanted to kind of bring up two articles I thought was a bit fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Scott Morrison had his interview with Lee Sales the other day. Mm. discussing a whole range of topics, but um, one article in Crikey has brought up that um, Scott Morrison has had the time to updo his new office. He's renovated his new office, and it's even more colonial than previously. So previously, Scott Morrison was, infam- was infamous for having the um, I Stop the Boats Little boat sculpture. Little boat sculpture these yeah. Yes. Well, he's he got, was gifted by he's, a constituent. He's got rid of that, and instead oh. he's had a three-dimensional replica of Captain Cook's prized endeavour made, right. as well as a map of Cook's voyages. Um, and he's also, within his positioning and kind of mm. how he's been presenting, uh, especially recently, he's been chucking on green and gold ties and making sure, you know, there's Aussie flags. So he's ramping up the nationalism, and this mm-hmm. article does a really great job at just being like... Look at the symbolism he's using. Look at the rhetoric he's using. It's getting more and more blatant. We can't expect to see... We can only expect to see him getting more nationalistic from here. And, I mean, we're already at an extraordinarily high rate of nationalism and um, that sort of thing, sentiment in our parliament. So that's just an interesting thing. Mm -hmm. Another thing uh, was uh, just quickly on Saturday at the State Liberal Conference, uh, Scott Morrison made a kind of dog whistle to seeing more women in parliament. However, he kind of made any suggestions of greater representation redundant by saying uh, merit is key. And I just wanted to kind of bring this up as just a kind of piece of rhetoric, a piece of dog whistle politics where they say, oh, we'll we'll employ more women, but they have to have merit. Um, And this article, which is in the women's agenda, it's called More Women, But Only Those With Merit, Scott Morrison says, Um, is really great because it breaks down exactly why that statement is so wrong and the assumptions Mm. or presumptions it holds within it. What is meant by merit? Yeah, merit and and the implied kind of sexism and misogyny actually within it. And what Um, entitles certain women to merit as well. Absolutely. And it's making the point that, you know, if Scott Morrison, if the Liberal Party really cared about merit, Sure. For example, when the leadership spill went through, you'd see someone like Lee, uh, Julie Bishop would have been in a much better position because she was technically the most um, senior person in that room for mm. the job. Mm. So it's it's just kind of it's really interesting because they juxtapose uh, merit with the word mates mm. and kind of showing you just that that party favour that's going on sure. and kind of yeah the sexism okay. within the Liberal Party. So that's also a really great um, little article. I suggest you check it out if you're interested. Yeah. And that's our alternative news. That's right. We'll be uh, right back. Australia is a crime scene. It's unfinished business, this crime. People don't understand that it was a military exercise. It was military in the first fleet. It was Captain James Cook. It was Captain Arthur Phillip. Right through the history of Australia, it's a military exercise. Our people have suffered greatly because the white man is not prepared to act honourably and legally. Still the case in this country today. This is Tracy R. Yeah. 
You're listening to 3CR. We're going to head into some um, coverage from the Jabwarong protest that happened yesterday. However, I'd just like to um, kind of contextualise what we're up against. So the Herald Sun reporting of this event yesterday was entitled Indigenous Road Brawl Hits Parliament. Hundreds have rallied against the Western Highway Road safety upgrades, saying it will remove the trees of cultural importance to the Jabwarong tribe. It comes after the Andrews government shifted the highway route to avoid two, and this is in quotation, birthing trees. Now, whilst this seems like it's just coverage of an event, for me, it really is a um, really cultivated piece, which has a lot of, a lot of again, implied, um, implied suggestions about the protest. So the first things I would like to counteract is it was not Indigenous Road Brawl. It was a gathering and march of people who would like to support the uh, Jabwang embassy and kind of tribe. Um, and this comes in, obviously, their fight to protect their ancient sacred trees and land. And another thing that this, this like little segment suggests is kind of um, it comes after the Andrews government shifted the highway route to avoid two birthing trees. And one of the things um, the Jabberwong family have kind of come, sorry, the Jabberwong people and the owner's family in particular have come out and said is, okay, you've, you've altered a little bit. You've got rid of, you know, you, you've promised you're not going to cut down two birthing trees, but you're still destroying tracts of land, tracts of our land, our sovereign land. And so this article really positions what happened yesterday as kind of um, a very malicious, very violent thing. But I was there yesterday, and I can tell you guys it was one of the most beautiful comings together I've, I've been in. Um, I, I went to the Jabwarong uh, kind of gathering yesterday thinking, oh, there's only going to be like maybe 20 people, 30 people. No, it was it was significant. There was actually several hundred people there. And we're all sitting there listening to the absolutely fascinating, like the really interesting words of kind of the Onus family and the different speakers there. Um, we got to hear a little bit from Tanya Day. It was a really quite a beautiful coming together, uh, especially to protest this ongoing story that we've been covering. So that was just something I wanted to bring up. It was also highlighted by the uh, politician Fiona Patton yesterday that um, the police were also there in quite a large quantity, um, and they were the... Um, evidence-gathering team were actually also filming the protests f- hidden behind pillars. And so, you know, you see the Herald Sun's kind of reporting on this and the vilification they're kind of... They're, they're constructing around kind of, you know, the Onus family and the Jabwarong kind of mob. And then you see also what our government's doing with the other hand, which is kind of filming evidence in the potential use of, I don't know. Mm. I don't know. Mm. What are they doing? Anyway... So that's kind of where we where we enter this scene. Um, I can say that the yeah the, the speeches were absolutely amazing. Definitely listen back to Dirt Radio if you have the chance. And it was also it was a very si- long long protest. It actually went from eight thirty to twelve thirty. So mm. it was quite a sustained, um, beautiful thing. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, with that in mind, um, let's head into the words of them. Yes. Um, so this is a recording of the voice of. D.T. Zelenak. D.T. Zelenak um, has been a leader of the movement um, to protect the sacred birthing trees and the land of the Jabwarong people. D.T. Zelenak is uh, a uh, Jabwarong warrior who's been on that land um, continuously since uh, for about 18 months, now 15, 18 months. Mm-hmm. So um, we're going to hear what, uh, what he had to say yesterday. You say we have to stop thinking that we are superior to country and our land. We have to stop thinking that we are separate from it. We are two in the same. We are the land. So what you do to our country and what you do to our land, you do to us. 
And as a sovereign man who never ceded my sovereignty, never ceded any part of my sovereignty, never actually had the permission to cede my sovereignty, which is my children's sovereignty and their children's sovereignty and their children's sovereignty, which is a continuation of our law, which is a continuation of our existence, which is a continuation of who we are today, whether we understand it or whether we don't. When you turn around and say you're a proud black person or you're a proud black fella, or you say you're proud to be under our law, under your own law, under your own customs, that's what you stand to say you're proud of. For me, when you strip all the layers away from it, I'm getting sick and tired of men coming in doing what they're doing to our women and children. It disgusts me. And I'm getting sick and tired of those who want to accommodate for it as well. I'm getting really sick and tired of it. Our women and children are the most oppressed people in our country, in this land. And we as men can't get up to help them or stand behind them when they're under attack. Isn't that what we're taught growing up in our homes? Isn't that what your father would do for you? If someone was to come into your home and decimate your home and destroy your kids and their future, isn't that what your father's responsibility is? To stand up for them? To say, no, you are not going to come into our home and you are not going to dis destroy. You are not going to cause harm. Even under this illegal regime, we say there's no consent. We've always said there's no consent. On any, on, on any, any, when anyone does business in this country, the foundation of the business that you conduct is built on respect. How can my people go in and do business when there's no respect? To have open dialogue. Open dialogue is without manipulation, without harm, without fear of being harmed. That's what open dialogue is. Once that has been broken, you then got to go into mediation. How come we haven't had mediation? How come our women haven't had mediation for our country? How come I've got to sit out on country as a man, have all my, my, most of my brothers there gamming around, plastic making excuses you need to get on country and fight for your country because at the end of the day treaty not going to save you treaty not going to do what, what, what your sovereignty will do for you treaty not going to do what connection to country will do for you they can make all the laws and whatever they want in the, in the world but if you don't follow the law of the land well, what are you following? Because by following the law of the land, it means you're sinking in with the land. The same way you synchronise in with your, your Wi-Fi, your Bluetooth. The same way. Connecting to Mother Earth as a, as, as a certain synchronisation costs you nothing. It really does. I'm getting sick and tired of men and, 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 and mob out there that are not standing up for the, for the proper reasons. You want to stand up for future? 
Well, the war isn't over. Stop acting like you're honeymooning. The war's still continuing. Why we act like we're honeymooning? Why, why are we eating honeymooning with a treaty with this state government when they're doing this to our people? When they're doing this to our country, our land? How come? When are we going to stop doing this to ourselves? When are we going to stand up for one another? We are the humankind. We need to stray away from being the human race. Slow down, it's not a race. Where are you going? Stop serving the purposes of a crown. Which at the end of the day, the ABN of Australia broke off from that in 86. The governor self-appoints himself, self-decisions, self-governs. Which at the end of the day is an illegal process within their own law anyways. See that? They don't even stick by their own laws. Which is, it's not shame, it's disgusting. The time for shame is, being, is done and dusted. The time for shame is long time gone. We need to move beyond it. We need to move towards action. Action will change. That's what, that's what it's about. Action will change. What are you prepared to stand up for? What are you standing up for? What do, what do you stand for when you look yourself in the mirror? What do you stand for? We all come from a birthing place. We all come from hospitals. We all come from a birthing ground. We all come from place of birthing, place of creation. We all come from that place. So we all know about we all know about birthing. So anyone that is dismissing the birthing is actually dismissing their own their own creation, their own significance through their ancestral roots. That's what they're actually denying. And to deny that is shameful. That is very shameful, but we need to change that. I just stand here, whether I stand here one out, I don't really care. It doesn't bother me. But I stand for honour. I stand for culture. I stand for custom. I stand for law. Yes, I'm an initiated man. Yes, I have my tribal scars. So anyone that want to learn that business... There's a place we go for that. Isn't out here on the concrete either. It's called land. It's called country. Out there where the serenity is. Out there where you get your connection, where you get your energies. The same way you get from your crystal quartzes and the new moons and all those sorts of things. Wake up. We've been doing that for thousands of years. Wake up. We have. We were your, we, we were your, we were your original farmers. Where do you think they got the concept of farming from? The originals. I'm not an Aboriginal. I'm, I, I'm a, I'm a Japarong, Yuan, Gunai, Kurnai, Gunnichamara man. Those are the tribes and mobs that I represent. That's who I represent. I don't represent Aboriginal. Because when you think about the term Aboriginal, it's actually to take away from. It's saying you're actually not an original. Which we are the original people. We are. We have the original law. We have the original custom. And at the end of the day, you call yourself an Australian, well, we're your true Australians at the end of the day. We are your Australians that come from this land, that come from this soil. We are your Australians that have the song lines to this country. The water dreaming. We have it all. We've been waiting 240 years to include you in our dreaming. So, 2020 coming up, and as Uncle Robbie Thorpe would say, 
Hurry up and get some 2020 vision, will ya? And get up to date with the times. But I thank each and every one of you for, for the continuation, for listening to my voice for over 15 months. I'm a, relent, I'm a relentless human being. I won't give up. And I don't care who I've got to stand against. I don't care what organisations I've got to stand up to. And I don't care what 9 to 5 mob I've got to stand eye to eye to. Because when you talk about our law, fellas like me, you're proper lawmen. We've been through the custom. We've been through the initiation. So don't stand there and talk to me like crap. You want to talk about country? You want to talk about culture? Get off the concrete. Stop supporting concrete movements. Get back out on the land. Be a part of the country. So at the end of the day, this government is forcing us to do one of two things. You either stand up and take your sovereignty or you lay down and you get treaty and you get nothing. And those are the words of DT Zelenak. I thought it was um, important to mention the speech was made at 10 o'clock. The rally started at 8.30. And um, Jabbarong land, a lot of it is women's land, traditional land. And so from 8.30 till 10 o'clock, uh, a lot of members, um, female members of the Onus family were talking about the significance of this women's land. So DT Zelenak's words are absolutely amazing. But I do suggest, um, if you can, to also tune into some of those um, female voices because they're real, the real authority in some ways. Absolutely. Go, th- go to 3cr.org.au. And search Dirt Radio. Dirt Radio broadcast live a lot of what happened yesterday, so tune into them. Hmm. Uh, you're listening to 3CR. G'day. My name is Margie Thorpe. You are listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 on your dial. From October the 28th to the 31st, some of the worst climate criminals will be gathering for the International Mining Conference, IMARC, at the Melbourne Convention Centre. Blockade IMARC is an activist alliance committed to putting a stop to the mass destruction caused by extractive industries across the globe and the harm they cause to communities and ecosystems. We need your help to be part of this blockade. Find out how at blockadeimark.com or check out our Facebook page, Blockade IMARC. A 3CR supporter. Come to a very special evening of music, dance and dinner. Joy of Freedom, Pacific Voices Sing Out for West Papua. Celebrate the launch of the CD Joy of Freedom on Saturday the 21st of September from 6pm at the Brunswick Town Hall. Entry is $15 and includes dinner. Performers include the Chendrawasi Dancers, Pacifica Victoria Choir, Corey Ann, the Black Sisters, Black Orchid String Band, Izzy Brown from Combat Wombat, and Tatame and the Neighbours, because music is our weapon. More information at Facebook event Joy of Freedom, a 3CR supporter. Right now I'm speaking to activist, paralegal and community organiser Mojgan Murefizade, who is a co-founder of the Refugee and Asylum Seekers Information Centre based in Jakarta, Indonesia. Mojgan, thank you for joining us on 3CR Community Radio. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you. 
So last week we heard about uh, the situation in Makassar. There were protests uh, by refugees and asylum seekers centering on the Australian consulate and the UNHCR offices in that city. I've speak, spoken to J.N. Junaid, who is a writer and Rohingya refugee living in Makassar, about the protests in that city. And they focused on Australian policy leading to dwindling resettlement options. Mojgan, can you tell us about the Jakarta protests? Um, are they around the same issues? Um, yes, the protests in Jakarta are mostly around the same issues. Uh, a lot of uh, single men especially are protesting in front of UNHCR and also in front of the Australian consulate because of the very, very low rate of resettlement for everybody, but mostly for single guys as well as others. And so this isn't necessarily in ref- um, reaction to the 2014 policy change by um, then-Immigration Mon- Minister Scott Morrison that people who registered after that date would not be accepted for resettlement, but it's more generally for the fact that single male refugees are not being resettled um, in the same rate as others. Is that right? I can say it's a combination of both of it, because people have been in this long wait all these times without any, um, without being able to actually think about their futures and having an option. And it's making it worse, obviously, that people who are registered after July 2014 don't have any options at all. But then um, single guys, on top of everything else, they, they're having it harder because the number of single guys getting resettled are really low. Um, although that resettlement in general is low for families as well, but single guys are having it worse. And can you tell us about the the size of the protests and where where in Jakarta have they been based? Uh, it's mostly in front of the UNACR office in the central Jakarta, uh, but there has been a, co- uh, a couple of protests in front of the Australian consulate as well. And the protests, I understand, have been happening off and on for years, but this recent uh, recent round of protests started around uh, the 6th or the beginning of August. Can, uh, do, you, do you have any idea of why the new round of protests have started up now? Uh, well, we should go back to last year um, that refugees started protesting and staying on the street in front of an immigration detention centre because they weren't receiving any sort of support and UNHCR was announcing to everybody that there won't be any more resettlement. You will be here for the next 20 to 25 years if ever you get resettled. Um, that's why people were a bit scared of, well, the resources were running out and they, they couldn't support themselves for that long um, period of time. So people started protesting and coming to the streets in front of the detention centers with the hope that they can get under the cover of IOM, International Organization for Migration, because once refugees are registered with IOM, then they receive um, housing and also a monthly allowance. So that's better than not having a roof over their heads. Um, Those protests led into um, more problems. And then later in March 2018, Australia cut the funding for IOM. So people really didn't have any options after that. Mm-hmm. Anybody coming to Indonesia after that also wasn't receiving that. So then the crowd became bigger and bigger until this year uh, that there was actually nothing happening, no progress in their situation, and more refugees decided to come and protest. And the same people who were protesting in front of the immigration detention center, um, they came to UNHCR and decided to bring their protest there in the center of the city so that they can get more attention or maybe UNHCR tries and helps them out.
Yes. Now, there were reports of violence from the police and arrests of asylum seekers in Makassar. Have you seen or heard any of this in Jakarta? It didn't happen to that extent in Jakarta. Um, police have been present in all of the protests that refugees have been doing in front of UNHCR, but uh, the refugees were advised to follow all the instructions and make sure that their protest is peaceful. They follow all the uh, rules from the Indonesian authorities, so there wasn't any violence happening in Jakarta. And um, have you received any response from the, uh, the Australian embassy in Jakarta or even from the UNHCR to any of the demands? Uh, well, from, from the consulate, there wasn't any response in Jakarta. Uh, the only response was from Makassar. Uh, but uh, UNHCR also uh, tried to come down to the protest. Like they tried to send their officers down to tell people that there's nothing we can do about it and literally just blaming the third countries, the resettlement countries, and saying, we want to resettle you, but actually countries are not accepting any more refugees. And so do you see the, the protests continuing indefinitely, or is there another step? Protests are continuing, um, but I'm not sure if you want to know about the other things that are happening because when the protests became bigger in front of UNHCR, uh, the Indonesian authorities got involved and they tried to push UNHCR to do something about the situation because obviously these people were in central Jakarta where all the offices were and they were all sleeping on the pavements. So um, then UNHCR did a collaboration the government of Indonesia and placed these refugees who were about over a thousand refugees in um, a, an ex-military base camp. So it's like a government building in West Jakarta and they placed refugees there. And their solution have been to give refugees a one-time assistance to be able to go and find places for themselves to live in and basically evacuating that building. But it's it's not really working, and there are still over 500 refugees in that building. It's my understanding they, they've tried to shut this, um, this building down, and many have refused to leave because the, the one-off payment amounts to about 140 US dollars, which doesn't last very long, especially if you're supporting a family. Yes, um, exactly. Mm. For single guys, it was, uh, it was about $100 Australian dollars. For families, it was about $1.6 million, and for families of um, smaller sizes, it was... 1.3 million, which is $130, and it's absolutely not enough. Even if people want to rent a room, uh, in Indonesia, even boarding rooms are not, people are not allowed to stay in it. Like more than two people are not allowed to stay in the boarding rooms. Mm. Now it's coming up to, and you referred to this a bit before, it's coming up to about a year since Australia placed a cap on the funds it's giving to the International Organization for Migration. And so many refugees have missed out on one of their last secure support sources of support. Since then, have you seen an increase of people of turning to the Refugee and Asylum Seekers Information Centre for assistance? Um, yes, in general, we have a lot of uh, people contacting us for especially medical support. Um, about nearly 6,000 refugees are not receiving any sort of support, and they're all living around uh, Jakarta, Bogor, and Chisawa area, which is Jakarta and surroundings. Um, Absolutely. There have been a big increase in the number of people asking for help. And also people who are under the care of IUM, surprisingly, are asking for help because IUM's budget have been cut down and they aren't able to allocate a bigger budget to uh, medical care and they're only able to help people in life-threatening situations. Mm. So how is, how is the RAIC coping with all of the financial and personnel needs? Uh, where, where are you sourcing donations from? 
Um, obviously, we are not. Um, we, we don't have any secure donations or funding from any other NGO. We are trying to uh, apply for different grants here and there, but it's really difficult to get that. So looking at us being a grassroots organization led by refugees, it's not that easy to be able to get funding. So we are depending on ad hoc donations, individual donations from people or different organizations sometimes try to give us a small funding, but uh, it's really not enough to cover the needs of the community. Mm, the RAIC is uh, partnered with some learning organizations and also offers eye health checks and all sorts of things like that. Um, how can listeners support your work here in Australia? Uh, well, we, we do need support in several different ways. What RAIC needs, with, well, obviously funding is one important need, but also the lack of volunteers and lack of um, specialists who can take care of all these problems in the refugee community is another need. So I think that the listeners can uh, raise awareness and try to talk about our issues to other people, and they can also introduce our website to people. So if somebody wants to donate and help out in any way they can, then uh, they have access to it. And the way that you can access the website is by going to raicindonesia.org where you can find out uh, yes. there's a contact page and there's also a page showing how you can donate from overseas. Yes, exactly. The, all the information are on the bottom of the first page. Wonderful. I've been speaking to Mojgan Moerefizadeh, who is a co-founder of the Refugee and Asylum Seeker Information Center based in Jakarta, Indonesia. Mojgan, thank you for joining us on 3CR. You're welcome. G'day, I'm Warwick Thornton, the writer-director of Samson and Delilah, and you're listening to 3CR. 3CR are selling kefir, Palestinian scarves, in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black, or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. Red alert. Numbers are needed at the Japurung Heritage Protection Embassy camps immediately. Sacred birthing trees on Japarang country need protecting. Over 50 generations have been born on these sites and the birthing trees themselves are 800 years old. These trees are being protected from the Victorian Labor Party's planned highway extension that is set to destroy this sacred dreaming landscape. The cops are coming with eviction orders very soon. The campaign to protect country is led by Japarang traditional owners who are calling on people from all walks of life for support. You can help by joining traditional owners at the camp on Japarang country near Ararat or by donating and putting pressure on Daniel Andrews to protect this sacred land. Visit dwembassy.com for more information and updates. No trees, no treaty. You're listening to 3CR. It's 7.47. We're going to go into a quick conversation. So last week was Women's Health Week, and in it, uh, Dr. Nikki Stamp kind of brought up her, her kind of pitch in on the subject called Pretty Unhealthy, Why Our Obsession with Looking Healthy is Making Us Sick. Now, Nikki, Dr. Nikki Stamp is a heart surgeon, and she had a take on basically society's attitude to health today. Why is our health declining despite our obsession with fitspiration, as she calls it, and the image of health. So I thought I might put it to you guys because 
uh, it's an interesting time we're born into. I mean, in some ways, humans are living longer and we're healthier than ever. Mm. And yet you also see things like um, obesity rise are... Um, is increasing and and people are getting less uh, less likely to get physical and you know active and get their daily dose. So I suppose um, where do you guys kind of get your health advice from within this this crazy media context? Do you get your health media advice or do you just kind of puddle along? Oh God, this is it's a hard. Kinda, it's hard to answer in that sort of like strange. Um, Kind of, I don't know what do you, what do you, what do you even call it? Like the public consciousness kind mm, of way yeah. that I don't actually particularly consume any health media as mm, such, but mm. rather the images kind of filter in vaguely through like all what of do the. You, yeah, what what comes to mind when you think health? And I think health. Mm. Um, I kind of think Goop, Goop by Gwyneth Paltrow, uh. <laughs> a very expensive website um, with all of those things like alkaline water, uh-huh. which. Um, Supposedly, you have in the morning with a spritz of lemon, which just makes it water, I think. And, uh, um, no, it's, it's very special water. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Goop, okay. Um, yeah, no, but like not for real, though. No, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like that's, you know, you say the word, word wellness, and it just mm. seems like a, a, a fairly specific thing. Yeah, absolutely. When it around like lifestyle and activity things, it's not mm. necessarily when you talk about wellness, you're not talking about recovering from a broken arm, or you're not talking about necessarily mental health in terms of therapy or, you know, the talking cure or whatever. Yeah, so there's or, a shift like, in meaning. Yeah. Or yeah. even just, like, the basic things of, like, fruit and veg yeah. and, like, 30 minutes exercise. Like, it's sort of the mm. branding has perhaps moved beyond sort of basic healthy things to yeah. kind of trendy, consumerist healthy things. Sure. I have to think, I thought of avocado. Uh, I thought of avocados. Like, it was, like, health and avocado came to mind. <laughs> Not even, like, avocados is in... Because I love, I love me an avocado. Yeah. Um, I fulfill the stereotype. Um, but, like, yeah, the, the avocados, but, like, that, that thing where people, like, um, avocados are the best thing. You should eat one every day. And right. then them switching that, like, two years later and being, like, avocados are the worst thing. Mm. You should mm. eat one once a month. Right. <laughs> and just, I think what comes to mind is, as you said, the shift of meaning, but also the kind of jump back and forth between food trends, food trends yeah. and health trends as well, especially yeah, within yeah. wellness gurus, which is what I think Nikki Stant's kind of getting at. Sure. So I was wondering, with kind of your health education and, again, where, where you've developed from, what was health education for you guys like at like high school and oh. like parenting and stuff like that? Did you, did you get a comprehensive thing? Because I know Australia, as part of this, is trying to roll out mm. more health curriculum than ever. Sure. But I'm wondering, where were the gaps, do you think, in your education with that? Were there any gaps? I think it was like, because we sort of learned it all as theory rather than practice. Being uh, like, we have like PDHP or whatever it's called. And uh, it'd be like, you need to eat this and do this and this. And it's just kind of like you read out of a textbook and you regurgitate an exam. But it's not like actually living and practicing it. Mm. And so I think there's kind of that mm. disconnect between learning it and then actually doing it. Yeah, because you can't really learn it in theory, can you? No, it's just numbers and words. Numbers like, it doesn't have any sense to you. Mm. That's interesting. So health isn't needing to be a practical kind of thing yeah. you live. Oh, yeah. How about you, Will? So what was your health education like? Was it there at all? Well, I went through five different school education <laughs> systems growing up, so it's kind of <laughs> so hard for me to all. say. Um, <laughs> well, it's like I missed every yeah, I semester. Missed every, <laughs> I, I, got, um, I got, like, sex ed two different schools. Nice. Yeah. Um, and so there was an interesting contrast between the way that it was done in the ACT school system mm-hmm. And in the um, sort of IB, um, no, not IB, it was IGCSE, so that's like the international version of the British school system. Right. Um, and so so that one over there was very practical. Like, um, of, of course, there was the same sort of awkwardness and fumbling with yep. the teachers of like, well, you've got to 
you've got to um, make make sure that you like the person you're doing it with um, <laughs> and things like that. Um, and I think that's that's good because yep. there was more of like the social stuff yeah. around around sex and sexual health, um, which didn't, at least at the time that I was at school, exist in the Australian health system. Mm. And in the Australian context, it was very much like I think it was actually in the same course as the um our drug and yep. drug education system um S- sort of, together which was all <laughs> about like um prevention of bad things happening so yeah. in terms of sex it would be condoms 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 don't do um, it, don't no, do it, no do talk it. about like consent or social stuff around sex yeah, and gotcha. same with drugs as well it would be don't do drugs drugs this will happen and they're also legal for these reasons um Whereas there was no conversation about like, you know, when you go out in society, these drugs will be present and people will be using them in these contexts. And, you know, this is this is why people take drugs and that sort of thing. Mm. And so I, I suppose if if there's a re if there's a change of approach in mm. in terms of health education, um, it should encapsulate the social aspects of, of being definitely. healthy. I definitely think that would be yeah. a really interesting point to bring up. I, I think also um, there was a lack of uh, women's health or men's health or mm. kind of even, again, breaking down the gender um, binary, just mm. just different health of different individuals because like um, just the way different body systems work and stuff like that, I think there was a gap in just, uh, like we were discussing last week with like menstruation, there was a real gap in like discussing mm-hmm. the intricacies and complexities of the human body system because the human body system is a complex mm-hmm. little mm-hmm. system. So I think that might have been where the health gaps are uh, may missed. But um, anyway, talking about kind of the rise of media and us, uh, the media saturation we live in, especially with um, this culture of online gurus, you know, uh, the Kardashians who are all living this hyper mm. surreal life, you know, oh, this is what you do to eat, he- to stay healthy. You, um, you know, eat your own placenta. Anyway. Um, oh, yeah. what? Did you hear about Kim no. K? Kim eating K. your own, pl- like as in eating your kids' placenta, yeah. well, yeah. your own placenta. Pl- your own placenta. Yeah. So Kim... Um, had her placenta turned into tablet form and then ate it. Oh, I've heard of that. Sorry, guys, I was going to skip over that, but Will asked, so I had to. No, 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 I had to no, no, that's a thing. And people use <laughs> it, it to make soaps and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, they do, they do. That's I'm not, really interesting. I'm not sure where I stand with it, but um, <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Um, I was wondering kind of, do you think these these things help? Because uh, media is where a lot of people learn oh. stuff. Mm. And, I mean, there's, obviously there's a lot of rubbish out there. There's also mm. a lot of good stuff out there. Do you mm. think... Um, kind of with us, like navigating our online spaces and stuff like that, that these online gurus or these these idols are pushing us towards better health, or are they pushing us towards more maybe a hyper a hyper version of health or um, a fake version of health? I guess one of the issues is that there are so many sort of health gurus. It's kind of like who do you know is the right health ah, guru? Ah, so it's like mm. it's kind of like if there's too many sources of information, you don't really know what's the reliable mm. source of information. Whereas mm. if it comes from like the Heart Foundation, and you know that you're mm. supposed to do X, Y, yeah. and Z. Yeah. That's a bit more de- uh, dependable. Yeah. yeah okay. So I guess that's my kind of concern with health gurus, mm. perhaps. Mm. But having said that, there's also something quite nice about it being very sort of like it, it's someone who's sort of living an everyday life like you, and you Personal can see eyes. how like okay, so this is how you can fit in doing your 30 minutes of exercise. This I'd is never accuse you... Kim Kardashian of living an everyday life like no, you. no, no, no. <laughs> Kim Kardashian is not on my mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah I'm kind of I, my my thought about this is that um uh that the the kind of just because of the commercial nature of the majority of media that we're able to consume these days. Um, like the kind of health advice that you'll be receiving is the kind that will lead you to a purchase. Mm. Um, and I'm not the first person to have this thought, obviously, but like yeah. you won't be told necessarily 
go and do XYZ exercise um, mm. and eat XYZ foods, you'll be told, participate in this particular program of exercise, yeah. which you can mm. then sign up to and pay a, sort of a monthly or weekly fee. And yeah, so, that, so that coercion almost all that. Yeah, and that, until yeah. such a time as not to toot our own home as a community radio station, <laughs> but until such a time as you have free non-commercial media as the default, then the media messaging that we'll receive about health will always be commercial and it will always be dominated by capital capitalists seeking to make some sort of grift off of your your wellness journey, which I put in scare quotes. So that's my thought, I guess. Yeah, no, that's absolutely... Yeah. I, I think also studying media and um, our growing... our growing attachments to influencers, mm. I'm, I'm very scared of, like, this idea of people selling themselves to, as you said, selling themselves to kind of individuals who they mm. they feel a personal attachment to who don't have that personal attachment and kind mm-hmm. of that gratification mm-hmm. culture of, you know, oh, my favourite influencer's doing this, so I should do this. Right. Mm. Leading to a very toxic place. Yeah. Um, my final kind of question space is, uh, first off, what do you think of activewear? Do you think, like, do you own a piece of activewear? Activewear. Does it help? Because I'm kind mm. of interested. Can, uh, we, can we define what activewear is? Because okay, so it's also, wear, like, yeah. there's street... Wear, which looks like to me activewear because well, it's all like track thing, pants and right? stuff. Yeah, the thing is, activewear is kind of like these tight leggings. Are, um, ah, Lululemon type. Lu- yeah, yeah. It's supposed yeah. to basically hold you in place mm. while mm. you do exercise. Right. Um, hold me in place. Hold you in place. Keep you together. <laughs> all right. Um, but it's yeah. it's interesting because it's turned more, as you said, it's turned more into a fashion trend than mm. it has to uh, into actual fitness. So mm. you think we're more obsessed with the appearance? Of being healthy rather than not being healthy. I mean, yeah. Well, what's your thoughts around that? Do you think does anyone own activewear here? Does any does it benefit in any way? No, but it's very gendered. Like, I it's not really marketed towards me, to be honest. Yeah. I'm I'm a cis man, Mm. and like, I mean, of course, there do exist sort of athleisure brands for men, but I mean. I, I quoted Lululemon as the one that immediately sprung to mind, mm-hmm. and there's also all of these other brands that I probably shouldn't be naming in the first place. But <laughs> but they're all like sort of yeah, they're they're, they're all about women's all about clothes, women? and like of course they offer mm. men's clothes as well. But the the ones that you see the most, I'm just talking anecdotally. I don't know. What do you think? I, I think it's really funny that you raised that because when I yeah. thought of men in activewear, what I thought was bare chested men, oh. ripped <laughs> and abs kind of thing. Right, and right. that's a really interesting of double standard than, yeah. is that women have, you know, have got yeah. like this like um, lot of different mm. options in activewear, but men, whenever you're presented as a fitness thing, it's like the ripped, you know, you're so ripped, you don't need a shirt. So I, I suppose that kind of, yeah, that's, that's an interesting kind of point with it. Yeah. Anyway, that's kind of wrapping up our thing. Um, if you guys do have any thoughts at home about kind of uh, this this culture of wellness, whether we've moved past actual health. Oh. I mean, if you do have health concerns, I, I do suggest going to the doctor, <laughs> speaking to someone like, the, yeah. you know, Dr. <laughs> Nikki Stamp rather than um, Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah. Um, but feel free to text us in. Um, 0488-809-855. That's 0488-809-855. What is wellness? We still don't know. I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure. Um, you're listening to 3CR Community Radio. Stay tuned um, and uh, enjoy the great show that we've got planned for the rest of the day. International NGO Service continues as a network of hosts and travellers promoting peace, goodwill, and cultural understanding. This year, Service celebrates its 70th birthday, and you're invited. Saturday, the 14th of September, from 12 to 3 p.m. at Gels Park in Wheelers Hill. For more information and to RSVP, email jan underscore robertson at yahoo.com.
This celebration is in the lead-up to the UN International Day of Peace on the 21st of September, a day to recognise the efforts of those who have worked hard to end conflict and promote peace. Serve us Australia, a 3CR supporter. Most LGBTIQ people experience positive, intimate and family relationships. However, like cisgendered heterosexual people, some LGBTIQ people experience abuse and violence in their relationships. With Respect is a new family violence service for LGBTIQ plus Victorians, providing counselling and recovery programs for victims and survivors of family violence and help for people using violence who want to stop. With Respect is a partnership between queer Space, Thorn Harbour Health, Switchboard Victoria and Transgender Victoria. For more information, visit withrespect.org.au or call 1-800-542-847. With Respect is not a crisis service. If you need immediate help, call 000. We know you love our 3CR Radical Radio t-shirts and so do we. They're 100% cotton and Australian made and you can get one for just $30. They come in black, dark grey and a cool light grey. To nab one of these beauties, drop into the station at 21 Smith Street or order by phoning 94198377 or you can visit us online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Come on, you know you want one. You're listening to 3CR Radio on Wednesday Breakfast. And on the line, we have Carl Grodock, who's a professor and director of Monash Urban Planning and Design. And he's been part of a team researching industrial land usage in Melbourne and exploring what are the existing patterns and how perhaps industrial land use could be used better. Welcome, Carl. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on to the show. Um, Firstly, I wanted to ask, so... Some of your research is exploring how the manufacturing industry is starting to shift in Australia over time. So what are we? What, what is the kind of the history of industry in Australia and what are the more recent trends that have started to happen? Um, over the last 10 years, I mean, we've continued to see manufacturing decline. But at the same time, we've really seen pretty dramatic restructuring of the industry. So the type of manufacturing firms that we have in Australia tend to be very small and very specialized. And so just to give you an example of what I'm talking about, nearly three-quarters of all manufacturing firms employ fewer than five people, Mm. Um, and upwards of 90% are employing less than 20 people. So we're talking about the kind of manufacturing that's staying here is really more focused on local markets. So a lot of it has to do with food production, for example, so serving um, restaurants and other other like food outlets in Greater Melbourne, or we're we're also looking at um, local service industries that say might uh, support architecture and building trades. So people that make specialized building components, door frames, uh, joinery, these sorts of things, uh, even furniture makers. And so it's 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 looking at a different type of manufacturing that we've seen in the past. It's it's not that real high volume, low cost competition to the bottom manufacturing, but it's very much more specialized. It's more design intensive, uh, and often what we're seeing is 
nearly half of all manufacturing in Australia links up with the cultural industries. So um, things like design-based work uh, and and uh, other other kind of creative industries. Uh, and then, I mean, I think alongside that too, as I said before, with food production, it's it's about local consumption. Yeah, interesting. And so in light of all these trends, I guess firstly, what's happening with the sort of older industrial lands, these older big plots where we had, like, for example, Holden and these big factories. And then on the flip side, where are these sort of smaller entities of, you know, five people or less, where are they sort of starting to situate themselves within the city? Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing is in this shift, we've kind of lost sight of what's happening with manufacturing, I think because of other pressures in terms of how our cities are growing and developing. Uh, so it's it's sort of interesting. So we've looked at the data on industrial zoning since 2000, and what we found is, on the one hand, Greater Melbourne overall has been actually adding industrial land, um, but it's been taking away, it's been rezoning all, just virtually all of its inner and middle suburban industrial land. And so we've lost about, despite overall growth, we've lost about 24 hectares of inter-industrial zone land, and to give you an idea of what that looks like, that's the size of 19 hodl grids, so mm-hmm. looking at the CBD, it's, it's it's a considerable portion of land, and the reason that matters is because these smaller manufacturers, really because the way their businesses function, often they cannot go to the outskirts of the city because they don't really need that large lot land, they don't logistics is not the center of their business. They're more centered on those immediate local connections. And so when we get rid of that land, we're kind of dispersing that business either elsewhere or or contributing to that decline in manufacturing that we've seen over the last couple of decades. Um, And I think this industrial zone rezoning is kind of caught in between, as I said, other kind of motivations. So, you know, we have a housing kind of crisis and i think that just the short version now is essentially that the city state government look at inner industrial zone land as something that is land that's highly devalued and and so you when you rezone it to mixed use or you rezone it to residential you immediately see a huge potential increase in value and so that's starts to fuel speculative investment um you know in a lot of our our communities here in melbourne yeah, and on that point about sort of these these communities, the sort of the rezoning of them, there's a lot of discussion that perhaps these aren't being designed in the way that they should be, and that the they're not creating proper mixed use neighbourhoods. They're quite empty. Um, what have you found through your research on this kind of topic? Are they are they actually thriving neighbourhoods, or are they just sort of sort of becoming quite well, empty? Um, no, yeah, no, you're right. I mean, but there's a huge variation. I mean, one of the things. So, I mean, we're doing these rezoning sort of in the name of kind of sustainable urban development in the name of, of mixed use with this you know I think the ideal sort of way that uh, many planners look at place development is you want to have a mix of uses because it brings different people into the uh, area at different times of day it provides different kinds of employment opportunities it gets people out on the street more vibrant places but the reality is the rezonings that we're doing even when they're mixed use designation they tend to be by and large for what we call shop top apartment so it's a residential building with a single ground floor retail um and often there's not a lot of thought put into that that retail and and they can remain vacant um 
so the retail vacancies, I mean, this is contributing to our growing retail vacancies in, in greater Melbourne, but also it's not really creating the kind of mixed-use places that are intended to be made because it's sort of dysfunctional retail. And, and in some cases, we, you know, there, I think this works fine, but, it, but in many instances, you start to look around and it's, um, we're not like the redevelopment is not really hitting that kind of sustainable development mark that we're after. And I think at the same time, we're also losing that potential around new industry development. Mm. And I guess further to that point is that we're trying to sort of, I mean, how do we help encourage these sort of more diverse neighborhoods and to ensure that we don't just have sort of shop top apartments should it be coming from more of a policy perspective or should it be more design led? What are kind of the measures that can help us ensure we get yeah. these better cities? Um, I mean, both policy and design. I mean, we need to pay attention to um, how design mechanisms can, you know, enforce and create and incentivize the kind of places that we want. I mean, we really need to look at more opportunities for creating more of a diversity of building types um, because that's going to influence the kind of rent levels that are going to be on offer in a place. Um, and we also need to think about, you know, a lot of these industrial rezonings, the reason this is happening is because, I, I, I said again, it's, it's sort of encouraged this speculative investment. Um, and I think we really need to put more teeth into the kind of um, – development that we want to see. I mean, it's, we've lost a lot of ground over the last 10 years in terms of looking at skyrocketing residential prices. And had we built in requirements for affordable housing that during that time, this city could look very different. I mean, the reality is you, you're not going to just increase the supply of housing in a place and that's going to bring down the prices because real estate is not just a market good, like you're going to the store and buying a can of soup or shoes or something. I mean, it's uh, it's really based on that location and that accessibility. And so it doesn't matter to a large extent how many new housing units you're put in there. You really need policy to, to get in there and set affordability requirements. And by doing that, that's one way that you increase the diversity of place and make places more more interesting and more accessible. And I think also rethinking the kind of workspace that we're creating, you know, mixed-use office or this, you know, ground floor retail really isn't cutting it. That we also need to think about a diversity of workspaces for different kinds of businesses because then that in turn creates different job opportunities for different people. Um, and again, you're getting more of a mix that way. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Carl, for coming on and talking about the diversification of cities and how we can sort of encourage more uh, cities that are encouraged, uh, acceptable for everyone. Um, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, my pleasure. That was Professor Carl Grodock, Professor and Director of Monash Urban Planning and Design. Shall we throw to a song? Real yes. Quick? So, um, so some Sufjan Stevens. Yeah. So I was put onto music music DJ this week, and I was <laughs> I was like thinking last night, oh, what can I do? And I realised that like it was a while ago, but about two weeks ago, was Wear It Purple Day, which is all about supporting LGBTIQ youth. And I thought I might play a few songs. Sort of in that sort of area. So yeah. one song is, um, it's from the film, uh, Call, Call Me By, by Your Name, Name, which, although I love, also has problems, and that's a whole other discussion <laughs> yeah. itself. Um, but this is, it's a really lovely song. It just feels like spring. It's like a mm. spring could be put into a song. I think this is the song. Yeah. And it's called Mystery of Love by Swift John Stevens.
You are listening to Wednesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio. Uh, next up, we have. Shall we? Shall we get a bit of weather? Yes. Yeah. Mm. Um, so today, beautiful, top of top of twenty, sunny. Nice. Bother! I've put on like 
Winter clothes. Oh, no. <laughs> I keep guessing this wrong. Yeah, I'm working today, so it's going to be nice to be out in the sun, mm. um, enjoying the warm and mm. having people be pleasant because it's nice weather. Mm. <gasps> um, customer I, service improved. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Oh, wow. I've got some. Um, I've got some washing out. I feel I feel smart and grown up because I managed to do that on my way before coming here. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, shall we? Shall we play a bit of? Oh my goodness, that's too late. I always do this. I always... Uh, so, numbers game. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. That was way too loud. I was um, excited. Yeah, so I thought we might play a, a little bit of the numbers game, if, if that's okay, folks. Hell yeah. Um, so, I've on. got our two contestants, Rob and Idwin, in the studio, ready to go. Uh, so, mm-hmm. shall, we, shall we start our first number? Um, and also, this is a collaborative thing, so if one of you wants mm. to jump in over the top of the other, that's fine, because no one wins. I didn't um, realize this was a competition. I thought this no, was collaborative. Not. It oh, is. It's it's collaborative. Okay, good. Yeah, so I made the buzzer what? noise, <laughs> uh, which suggests independent, but the problem is I can't actually guess a number for the life of me, so okay. I need your help. <laughs> well, I mean, the first one's a bit vague. Yeah. It's um, either about 200 or 835. People? It sounds like it's a people estimate thing. Ooh, mm. you guys are good. It's like estimates at a protest. I'm. I was thinking about that because I was thinking. Uh. You know how sometimes they say like le- like um the people at the protest will be like mm. there was a thousand people mm. and then the news who are against the protest will be like there was fifty people. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, this is actually an inverse of that. Can I tell you the answer to this one? Uh-huh. Um, yes. because I think this one will be a bit hard for you discover, figure out. So the first number, about 200, is from the ABC's Bahasa Indonesia coverage, Mm -hmm. and the 835 is quoted by um, the Coordinator for Political, Legal and Security Affairs Ministry, Wiranto, who used to be a general in the Indonesian army, and that was quoted by the Jakarta Post. So this is the number of Papuan students who are estimated to have um, left their universities or wherever they're studying in Indonesia and return to their hometowns in West Papua um, because of the climate of racism and threats of violence Mm. following the Independence Day um, events where in um, Surabaya some students were um, arrested um, for... There's there's a whole backstory where some students um, were said by various sort of vigilante groups to have torn down an Indonesian flag and left it in a gutter, and that led to them being mobbed by a lot of mm. um, people, including from the Islamic Defenders Front, which is a quite a large um, vigilante group. Um, and so the police came in and they arrested the students rather than the, the vigilante groups who were you know, nice. threatening these mm. students. And so um, it's, it's interesting to notice that the, no- the large number is coming from that government source mm. for... Um, and uh, the the government source, Wiranto, goes on to say that um, these people are afraid of something that is actually fake news. And so that's, it's, I don't know, there's something to read in there. I'm not mm. 100% certain what that is. But, yeah. We'll just, leave it with the listeners. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so next number is 37. 37. It sounds like a temperature. <laughs> it does sound like a temperature, mm. or like a number, like a countdown of days, like 37 days until... The world ends. No. Um, mm. All right. Mm. We're coming into summer. 37 mm. couldn't be like our expected m- median temperature. <laughs> oh, my god, That would be a pretty awful summer. No. Well, I mean, this one's quite awful as well. I, I thought I might jump in because we're, we're again, mm. not going quite in the right direction. Mm. It's actually <laughs> been... Um, this is actually quite serious as well. Um, 37 days since the Indian government under PM Narendra Modi stripped Kashmir of its special autonomy mm. and imposed curfew and cut internet and telecommunications for most people. 
Um, so it's been 37 days, and um, I'm not sure if you'd know this by, mm. by reading our newspapers or listening to our radio. Of course, there has been coverage mm. by our larger news sources, but, yeah, it's, it's incredible to think that people haven't been able to make phone calls for 37 days. No. Um, people haven't, living in the rest of India mm. haven't heard from their families in, in Kashmir. For th- I mean, they will have, but through informal means no, rather seven, than seven just being able to give a phone yeah. call. Mm-hmm. And... Um, According to Al Jazeera, there have been abductions and there's been torture by the Indian, Indian um, army, the Indian military rather. And so, yeah, I don't know, this is just a story that I think we should keep our eyes on and um, continue to, to try to stay informed and um, see if there's any way in which we can offer solidarity. Mm. Um, but yeah, can I, can I give you a happier number? Yes, please. Mm-hmm. Uh, 55,000. 55,000. Bees? Something to do with bees? 55,000 bees? Expected people at the 20th of September climate protest march. <laughs> Good half plug. We'll get back into that, Thank won't you. we? Thank <laughs> you. Yeah. Uh, okay, we've got bees, people. Anything else? I don't think it's a money number. It doesn't sound like a money no. number. No. No, it doesn't. Mm. Any other guesses? Quick, 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 quick. So the number of minutes that were on air per year or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll Will thought it was nice, which... I hope that's a nice thing. Um, yeah. Well, I, I mean, nice is not sad. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going to count that as a win. <laughs> yeah. um, all right, 50 th- Um Something to do with 3CR, maybe? No, no? Oh, God, I wish. Uh, mm. I no. wish, too. <laughs> all right, well, what is what it? Is okay, okay. Um, so 55,000 pounds is the amount that Australian newspaper cricket reporter was charged for a beer. Um, so what? Yeah, that's right. Um, so this is the um, the reporter that the Australian newspaper sent over to um, the UK to cover the Ashes, a gentleman named Peter Laylor, um, yep. was in a uh, in a pub called Malmaison. So it doesn't sound like a pub so much as a gastro pub, mm-hmm. and um, ordered a, a a serve of Deutsches IPA. And the the theory is that the staff accidentally charged. A five pound fifty beer as fifty five thousand, um. and um, uh, the gentleman only uh, Peter Laylor only really noticed when he returned home and found out that a lot of money had been stripped from his <laughs> his shared account with his partner. And um, oh, so dear. the the pub has since been contacted, and they're going to be returning the money except for the five fifty that was owed for the beer. I love the term. Um, the the pub was um the pub was contacted like it just yes. sounds like it was such a like a PR agent being just like so yeah. we both messed up. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, this is reported by Reuters. So fifty five thousand pounds. That's about a hundred thousand dollars. Fifty yeah fifty five thousand. It was a money About a hundred thousand hundred thousand Australian dollars. That's a, that's a ridiculous good beer. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I love how he has that much money that he only noticed when he got home. That's the problem with tap and go. You don't, you're like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or you have to have that much it's of the It's dangerous. It's too easy. It's too easy. Yeah, Who knows yeah. what they're charging you? Mm. The surcharge yeah. of like... <laughs> yeah, well, it'll have a 3% surcharge on that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And so last one, uh, the 12th of September 2019. No guesses as to what kind of number that is, but what's significant about it? It's tomorrow. tomorrow. <gasps> yes. <laughs> Is there something cool happening? Yes, there is. At 12 p.m. tomorrow, we're looking forward to having Jasmine on Ruminations talking about their upcoming housing documentary. Jasmine was one of the participants in the 2016 Bendigo Street occupation in Collingwood, 
and is in the process of making a film looking at housing in Australia. Um, and uh, Jasmine will be using images and video and interviews of some of the scenes and people involved in, the, in that mm. eight-month protest. And I'm really excited to see the final outcome. Sounds funky. So, mm. yeah, um, that, that'll be a chat about a documentary about the Bendigo Street occupation in Collingwood. Um, that's happening tomorrow at 12 midday on Ruminations, 3cr.org.au. You can listen online or you can listen to us at 8.55 a.m. Um, go to 3cr.org.au slash Ruminations sometime tomorrow afternoon for the podcast. And we've got a week of action coming up. Um, on Friday also, Satellite Skies, which is a 3CR show that airs um, 11 p.m. to midnight on Mondays, uh, is holding a Radiothon fundraiser. So they'll actually be holding basically a charity gig. Um, money and donations will be going to 3CR and also Grandmothers Against uh, Removals, mm-hmm. which is a cool little startup. Um, and they'll be having bands such as Race Rage, Katie Split, Occult Blood, and Hex Tape, to name a few. Ooh. Some pretty funky sounding names. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that will be held at the Big Arts Warehouse, um, 9 to 11 Hocking Street in Coburg. And again, that's this Friday, $10. Worth mm. it. Mm. 7 p.m. this Friday, this 13th. Yeah, get Ooh. along and down and boogie. And um, yes. on Saturday, on the 14th, um, there will be a Princess Bridge Block and Dance hosted oh. by XR, Extinction Rebellion. Um, so that's starting at 12, going till 9 o'clock, and the idea is to block off Princess Bridge, uh, declare a climate emergency, and basically occupy that space mm. um, in protest of the current climate crisis we're living in. And mm government, international, national, local, mm. federal, whatever you want to mm. say, mm. Um, they're in action towards it. Okay. And then so, yeah. the following week, on the 20th of December, Ooh. as you said before, we have the <laughs> climate strike. The climate strike. Yes. I'm excited for this one. And yep. there's a lot of businesses, getting like people striking mm. from their work as well. Yeah. So it'll be not just school students, but I think actually quite a big range of people. Mm. Yeah, and if, if people are wondering whether to come along, absolutely come along. The students have stated that this is a strike open for everyone. Mm. Um, obviously, it's led by the students, but the thing is, it's what it's 3.25% of the population that we need to mobilise before social action changes. I believe that's a stat that's been thrown around um, in regards to social change of the population. Sure. Mm. Um and yeah, we need this, we need people. We mm. need people on the streets. We need representation. So obviously, don't push yourself if it's something. If public strikes, public people aren't something that you're a big mm. fan of. You don't have to come. That's no, no mm-hmm. pressure. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all do our change in our own way. However, if you are able to come, if you are able to take the day off work, numbers in the street really do show a lot. Mm. Um, and especially with the climate strike, this is going to be our last really big opportunity this year. Mm. Um, apart from some stuff that XR is going to be doing later in October. So, yeah, this, this, this is an international march. Mm, mm. <laughs> Definitely get down to it um, in Melbourne if you can. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, I thought we might close with a song. So before we did that, we could do a wrap of the show. Mm. Um, so at the beginning, um, we had alternative news, and then we heard um, the great DT Zelenak speaking at yesterday's Japurung Solidarity protests that happened in... In the centre of the city, in Spring Street, uh, in front of the par- on Parliament steps, mm-hmm. and then went down to the coroner's court to show solidarity with the family of Auntie Tanya Day, and in the um, the coronial inquest into her death in custody, mm-hmm. um, and then at some time after that, <laughs> uh, we've kind of had a free flowing show today. So it was mm-hmm. about seven thirty that we heard from Mojgan Moade Fizadeh, who mm-hmm. is a community organizer, Iranian refugee living in Jakarta. Um, and also co-founder of RAIC. Again, if you want to find out more about the work that the Refugee Inf- uh, and Asylum Seekers... Oh, sorry, RAIC, yeah. The Refugee and Asylum Seekers Information Centre 
does in Indonesia, then you can go to raicindonesia.com mm-hmm. and find out more. Um, volunteer services, if mm-hmm. you're heading over to Jakarta at any point, they are looking for volunteers, as um, Mojgan said in the interview. Um, or you can donate as well, and they've got instructions on how to do that on their website, raicindonesia.com. Um, and then... Oh, it's 7.45, we had the health chat. Yes, we did. We had the health chat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and 8 o'clock. And then at 8 o'clock we had Professor Carl Grodok talking about industrial land usage and how to sort of... How, like, I guess, with lots of apartments and speculation kind of happening, how mm. do we think about best using industrial land and making sure we get cities that are good for everyone and get them to be really mm. diverse? Right on, yeah. Um, so the song by the Master's Apprentices, what are we looking forward to, Rob? Yes, so this is called Because I Love You, and it's from the film Holding the Man, which is a great Australian film, um, also keeping on the LGBTIQ theme. But, yeah, it's a, it's a fun song to lead you out for the day. You're listening to Wednesday Breakfast. Have a great afternoon, everyone. Great day. (laughs) (laughs) See you next time. See you next time. CCR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop, Melbourne's radical independent bookseller and venue, for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. Or check them out at nibs.org.au to find more information about upcoming discussions and events.